0: Hear now the word of the Lord. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran to up to it and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah and heard him say, and he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before, was silent before its shearer. He does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch was with him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What you have intended for evil, Genesis says, God used for good. Like a boulder falling into a pond, the death of Stephen doesn't so much send ripples as it displaces the entire pool. Up to this point, Christianity had been a localized thing. It had been a subset of Judaism. It had been a part located in Jerusalem. It was a, a small but rapidly growing sect that, that followed the customs and patterns of, of Judaism. They, they would worship in temple. They would learn in synagogue. The apostles had waited in Jerusalem, this very holy city, because Jesus had told them to. This was the place of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension. And before, as he was going up into heaven, he he tells them in in chapter 1 of Acts to wait until you receive power from on high. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But the disciples had waited. Even after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come and empowered them, they had stayed around in Jerusalem. I kind of imagine it was like summer camp. Some of you have had this experience where you go off to summer camp, you, you, especially a, a religious or a church camp, and there in the course of five days you meet someone, you learn their name, and before you go home you have formed such an immediate emotional and spiritual bond, you have this feeling that you will never know someone as closely as them again. I, I see this disciples in this place. They are... They are there in Jerusalem in the intimacy of their faith and they are growing and they're learning and they're communing with one another and they are experiencing the power of God in their midst. And then without warning, Stephen is arrested. He is tried and he is stoned. The author of Acts doesn't give us a lot of details about how the disciples emotionally respond to this news. In fact, the way things traveled at that time, Stephen was probably dead before they even heard that he had been arrested. Chapter 8 opens with these words, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all of the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul Saul was going everywhere, destroying the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Stephen's friends didn't really have time to mourn their loss or to even process their grief before they had to start dealing with this new changing reality around them the apostles experienced arrests and beatings and challenges all before this happens. But this is something new in the world. Doors are being kicked in. Warrants are being signed. And so Christians start packing their bags and, and running. It's not the, the normal picture we have of the early church, brave and, and triumphant. They were scared and, and terrified and they ran, but as they run with their lives, they carry their faith with them. It seems that this good news, this powerful spirit that had abided within them was too much for them to keep in. Chapter 8, verse 4 says, The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Because what man intended for evil, God used for good. In the midst of this situation where the church is getting scattered and and pushed out the bounds of Jerusalem, Luke focuses his lens on the single person Philip. Now, Philip was a kind of second round draft pick of the apostles. He he was a, a strategic choice, a position player for the Gentiles. Not to be confused with the first-round draft pick that was Philip, the the apostle whom Jesus chose. This is Philip the deacon, one of the seven who were pulled up into the big leagues to run the church's first Meals on Wheels program. Time in Acts is, is kind of compressed but but you get the idea that philip his his discipleship his his mode of ministry was formed in the crucible of waiting tables quick show of hands who here has worked as a server at some point in their life i i see those hands you you have done the calling of god to wait tables to take people food to to refill their drinks You learn skills, you learn habits, you learn behaviors when you are a server that you don't learn other places. Multitasking, taking orders while bussing a table, keeping an eye on a, a customer, watching for that annoying manager, balancing heavy trays of food while dancing through a dining room. And over time, you start to develop these six. Senses to know what people need even before they ask. Luke doesn't tell us, but it's easy to imagine that this was the crucible, this was the the wheel that formed and shaped Philip's ministry. And so when that boulder of Stephen's death drops into the infant pool of Christians in Jerusalem, Philip heads out on the road, Serving and preaching wherever he goes. The story in Acts chapter 8 unfolds with four difficult, powerful questions. The first one comes Do you understand what you are reading? Verse 26 catches up to Philip as he's hitchhiking back to Jerusalem. He, he had fled north, uh, down to the hill country of Jerusalem. He, Jerusalem's up in the hill, and, and when you go north, you come down those hills into the Gaza Strip. And there he's in the, the plain surrounding Samaria and Judea. And even when he's there, he is preaching Jesus. No one told him to do that. He didn't get permission. He didn't send out a case study. Everywhere he went, everywhere he goes, he preaches Jesus. He shares the gospel. Somewhere along the way, as he is journeying, serving, preaching the angel, the Lord taps him on the shoulder and said, it's time to head south. And so he takes the road. Roads are about survival. They are moving things and goods from one place to another, searching for life possibilities or running from the forces of death. Luke gives this enticing detail that this road was a desert road, was a road in the wilderness, one of those lifeless places, one of those places that are void of possibility and potential one of those roads that are only good for going somewhere else. Of course, the story of God has this sneaky tendency of finding those places that aren't good for good, aren't used for much else. Finding those places that are outside of our resources and our abilities. Finding those places that are beyond our capabilities. Those good-for-nothing places, kind of like a parking lot. And then God steps into them and fills them with power and potential and upsets the whole cart. There is Philip on this dry and cracked road, desert all around, and he sees the Rolls Royce of chariots fly by. And he does what any good, self-respecting chariot lover out there, car guy, he runs after it. One of my uh, favorite YouTube videos is a a guy that kind of reviews exotic cars. And and a few years ago, he he went and and took his love of exotic cars and went out and bought a Ferrari. He bought an older Ferrari, but it was still there. And then he thought it would be a fun idea to see how many chicks he could pick up in a day by driving around in his Ferrari. He'd go to the gas station and fill up the gas. He'd go to the mall. Can you take a wild guess about how many ladies came up and talked to him? These cars are car guys. And even when he catches up to the chariot, there he finds, tucked safely behind the chauffeur, an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the queen in charge of all of her treasury. This person who is never named is, is coming back from Jerusalem. Which means he's coming back from a series of Disappointments and closed doors. Church has been like that for a while, my friends. Closed doors and disappointments. You see, this was an Ethiopian, possibly. And there's two possible ways we can understand him. He was either an Ethiopian, a, a Gentile, which means he was a convert to Judaism. And so, therefore, he wasn't able to enter into the temple proper. He had to stay in the boundaries and the courts of the Gentiles. Or he was a Jew. But even if he was naturally a Jew, he couldn't still participate because he was marred as a eunuch. Either way, by his ethnicity or his sexuality, he met obstacles that kept him from fully participating. And so, as he leaves from his time of worship, he is heading home, coming back to Ethiopia pursuing God and he finds that God is running after him. There's an old newspaper saying that no matter where you are, if you want to find a good story, find the most interesting person in the room and, and six next, sit next to them. Philip, in this dry and deserted place on this wilderness road, he identifies that this Ethiopian eunuch is the most interesting person for miles around, and so he, he goes and sits down next to him. And he discovers, much to his surprise, that this man is reading from the prophet Isaiah which is telling. In Isaiah 11:11, 11, 11, the prophet says that God will recover a remnant that is left of his people from Ethiopia. Later in Isaiah chapter 56, he promises that eunuchs who keep my Sabbath will be welcomed in the house of God and will receive a name better than sons and daughters. This man was searching the very place where he hoped to be found he was reading out loud. At this time, people didn't read silently. This is Whenever you go and read a book silently, know that you are performing a modern miracle. In the fourth century, Augustine was, was heralded for his witchcraft and superior intellect because he could read silently. Back in this day, everyone read aloud. And so Philip Having this sixth sense of knowing what people need, he stops and he knocks at the door and he says, Do you understand? The second question is asked by the Ethiopian How can I understand unless someone teaches me? It's not just those long ago who like to set up obstacles and gates. We love to do this in the church. We want to make sure that we have the appropriate amount of, of checks and balances and doors and locks to, to make sure that only those who are approved and background checked can come in. You have to have some cognitive ability or pass some litmus test before you get to get in or, or participate. We love to set up doctrinal purity. Or moral excellence as obstacles. We like to make hoops so that people can jump through them. And I, for one, am all for doctrinal purity and moral excellence. But a lot of times we we get that in the wrong order. I was pastoring in Britain. And there was a lady uh, who came to church very regularly. She was Cameroon. and And every once in a while, her daughter, she was from Cameroon, I should say, and every once in a while on Sunday nights, her daughter would come. And when she was there, she would cry, weep through every service. Obviously, because I'm such a gifted preacher, right? Well, one day her mother confided in me that, that her daughter was a dancer at one of the local gentlemen clubs. And every time she walked into church, she was overcome with this emotion with this shame, with this failing. It could be that the Holy Spirit was working on her and she didn't want to hear it. Or it could have be been that she had learned that unspoken lesson that to come into church you have to first clean up your life and fix up your mess and dust off your dirt. You have to get all of your stuff together before you come into this place. But the truth is, we're all here this morning, messed up and broken people. We sit together week in and week out, smiling and nodding, but thinking that deep down thought, if only that neighbor knew what I think or what I did or who I am. We come together Sunday after Sunday to worship God with dirty hands and impure hearts, hoping that the person next to us doesn't get a whiff of our hypocrisy. This is why it is so important that we come together week in and week out to read Scripture. For God is working in all of us, the broken and tarnished vessels that we are, and to read this word rightly we have to read it together with one another with friends and family with strangers and visited visitors with saints and sinners all one a former professor of mine used to say this to fully preach the gospel we need one anothers so we need strangers Even with these lone ranger pastors, solitary geniuses, solo voices crying out in the wilderness. Even the most tormented artist all on her own. How can we understand this wild and strange world unless someone guides us to fully preach the gospel? We need others to shout amen when we are on the path. And make it plain when we stray from the course to fully preach the gospel, we need to sit side by side with people wildly different from us. To fully preach the gospel, Philip, this one who had served and learned at the table, he needed the Ethiopian eunuch to send him an invitation. He needed to sit there together in their brokenness and their sorrow to read from the Word in the hope that God who was working in each of them, might speak. The third question comes, who is this person in pain? Philip is reading from Isaiah in in verse 34 of chapter 8. He reads about the sheep that is being slaughtered, the lamb that is silent before its shears about humiliation and denied justice of a life taken away too soon. And he asked, who is this the prophet is speaking of? Who is this one who bears the pain? The the eunuch from Ethiopia knew something about pain. These people often experience, uh, to use a, a contemporary word, transitioning before puberty. They were most likely slaves. Well, they were slaves, but they were slaves who held positions of wealth and power. And yet, even though they were in the confines of power and wealth and prestige, they had none of it on their own. Here is a person who had gone through a radical change, who then gave up his life to service for someone else. And he's reading from the prophet Isaiah about a lamb who experiences a similar change, a similar shearing before giving up its life in service of sacrifice. This man knew all about pain. And there in the, driver, and there right next to him, is Philip, who also knew of pain. He had felt the loss of his friend Stephen. He had witnessed His friend, his brother, beaten down in the street. He had ran from his home to save his very life. His only other job was dealing with old women, which is always a painful experience. That was a joke, present company. Clearly excluded. Just a reminder, Mother's Day is coming up in just a couple weeks, so... But it's not his pain that's important. And it's not even the pain, severe and life-changing of the eunuch that's important. For the one whom the prophet was speaking of was none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, who took the place of the lowly and the outcast. Christ freely and willingly entered into the suffering of the world just like a sheep led to slaughter but in Christ and Christ was the one who was silent before his tormentors Christ was the one who was humiliated and denied justice but in Jesus and for all who follow him the story of the road of suffering is transformed into a highway of exaltation for the word of Isaiah continues out of his anguish he shall see light the righteous one my righteous one. My servant shall make many righteous. It is by Christ's life, His suffering and His resurrection, that a way of transformation is open to all. And so when the eunuch's story of shame and pain and closed doors is refracted through the story of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, it becomes the shape of redemption, of restoration, of hope. And so in the moment of hope, he asks that fourth question. What is to stop me from being baptized? Do you hear the subtle anxiety in this question? The subtle wondering, am I good enough? That's what I hear in the eunuch's question. Just tell me the reason I don't qualify, because that's what everything else in the world tells me. That I'm not good enough, that I'm not pretty enough, that, that I'm not smart enough or rich enough or strong enough or brave enough or clever enough. I just don't measure up, so go ahead and tell me how I'm not going to get in this club either. And Philip says, nothing. As Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that stands between us, between you and the transformative work of Christ. Not your past, not your present, not your gender, not your identity, not your wealth, not your poverty, not your scars, not your shame, not where you have been or what you have done. There is nothing that can stop the work of Christ in you. Faith always finds the water. And so right there on the road to this dry and desolate place, they stop. And this man is baptized. And the walls of prejudice and prohibition that stood for generations come tumbling down, blown over by the breath of God. And another man who felt lost and humiliated was found and restored in the wilderness of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And as the eunuch comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit is all around and Philip is whisked away. And the eunuch is free in his joy. That same offer comes to you this morning you can leave this time together free in the joy that comes through Christ. The one who understands you enough, who understands you all the way through, the one who doesn't love you in spite of all the things you've done, Jesus loves you because of it. Christ knows you in the broken and hurting places because those are the exact places that Christ has Himself been. Humiliated, embarrassed. Christ knows the times you don't measure up. He knows all the hoops and the obstacles you've already passed through to be here this morning. And by His death and glorious resurrection, He has redeemed all of that. And He has opened a new way forward. So my friend, what is to keep you this day from receiving all that Christ offers? Nothing. Let us pray. On this day, oh God, I pray for my friend who is joining us here or joining us online, who sees in their life all the ways they don't measure up who sees before them a whole host of failures and walls of locks, doors, and obstacles. And I pray, O oh God, in this moment, by the power of Christ and His Holy Spirit, would Your wind blow and knock down those walls so that my friend may find in this morning the invitation, the free And full acceptance the open arms of our Lord this morning as we worship together as we sing this song I would invite you to respond to God to open your life to his embrace and to find in him newness let us worship together